The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high-adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exist to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of Scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Amen. Hello, everybody. Man, it is awesome that you guys are here. Um, it was cool. For the, those of you who were here for the pre-conference, um, you heard Brody say it earlier, but if you weren't, um, earlier in the day, Brody was teaching, and, and uh, he talked about how this, man, the, we can have this attitude of that we get to do this, right? We get to minister to students. And it's, there's an obligation if you've been called, right? If you've been called by God to do this, there's an obligation. There's a command there to be obeyed. And, but we don't have to have the, oh, I have to do this attitude, right? Like, out of that command, there should be this joy that, yeah, we get to do that. We get to do this. We get to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to young men and young women so that they might so they might grow in Christ-likeness, so they may grow in godliness, so they might follow Jesus faithful to the end of their days. We get to do that. Man, and so I just, for me personally, um, I'm really excited right now about that. Um, for me, I'm just, man, thank you. Thank you for being here. Man, thank you for serving the gospel. Thank you for serving Jesus. Thank you for loving young people. And, uh, and thank you for being here, and I get to preach this sermon. So thank you. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. So we're kind of wrapping up what's been, over the last few years, our iron on iron study, coming to the end of this passage. Um, so just real quick, you know, what's going on is Paul has left Timothy at Ephesus to pastor, to be an elder at this church, to, and to put elders in place. And man, but he's, he's a fairly young guy compared to the other leaders in the church. And man, it's a, it's a tough spot for him because he is, he's right off the bat, he's facing a lot of opposition because of these false teachers that are in the church. And so Paul's writing this letter to Timothy to encourage him, to challenge him, and to instruct him. And, and then in that, to the church. But what we get out of this letter, what we get out of this, this letter from the wise apostle to his, really his spiritual son, now we get this letter that is full for anybody who would pastor and lead and shepherd. We get this instruction that is not just for him at that time, but this becomes for the church for all time. And so we get this sweet instruction. See, this is how we do this. This is how we shepherd eternal souls. This is how we guard the gospel and proclaim the gospel. And so, the verse for the weekend, if you look down at verse 16 in chapter 4, says this. It says, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Alright, so that phrase really is a summary sentence of everything that's gone before in this chapter. Where he's saying, keep this close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Because he's, he's been hammering Timothy with this because he wants him to stand out in contrast to the false teachers. These false teachers whose, whose doctrine is loose, is perverted, it's twisted, and their life bears that out. 
that there's a perverseness to the way that they're living and leading. And because of that, man, the church is under attack. And he's telling them, okay, the way that you're going to lead people right, the way that you're going to, that ultimately you're going to combat the false teaching that's happening is you be diligent. Be diligent to keep a close watch on your personal holiness and your godliness and the purity of the doctrine and how you teach it to the church. So let's look back at the beginning of the chapter. I'm going to read through and we're going to walk through how is he to do this? How is he to keep a close watch on himself and the teaching? Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the word of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. All right, so in verse 6 he says, if you do this, if you put these things in the paragraph that was read just before, but really the, the entirety of what he's already said, if you put these things, this teaching that Jesus Christ is Savior, He alone is the way, this is how leaders are to lead in the church, and this is how you confront false teaching, if you put these things before the brothers, you'll be a good servant. I think right there, a time out. And that should be highlighted and circled and underlined, right? Like, he's telling us how to serve well. Whether, whether you're a pastor, full-time ministry, part-time, volunteering your time, whether you lead a Sunday school or a small group, man, to pause and to circle this. And this is what it's going to look like to serve Jesus Christ well. Not as if I could repay Him, but to please Him, to honor Him, to, to live the life that He saved me to live, to fulfill the calling that he's put on my life. Tells him what to avoid. We're going to focus on what he tells him to do. Train yourself for godliness, right? Be diligent. Keep a close watch. Train yourself for godliness. It's an athletic term. He's saying it literally could be translated. I think the King James, uh, I think, yeah, King James translated it uh, exercise right? And, and so I've heard this verse a lot where, because he's going to say, now, bodily exercise, you know, has its merit, but not as much as spiritual, right? And I've heard, uh, depending on the, how in shape the guy preaching at the time was, I've heard them downplay the physical side, or 
Or I've heard them like say, well, you know, it's really is, it's giving, you know, that we should, we should exercise. And I think, man, he's, he's not really talking about like, because I try to exercise when no one's around and can see me. But I, my goals for exercising, I don't think it's what Paul's talking about here. My goals for exercising are, I want to be able to put my shoes on without passing out. <laughs> it's one of my goals for exercising. I want to be able to run away from somebody to get a weapon if I need to engage them in, in a fight. Just maybe 15 yards. I want to be able to engage in a fight with somebody who would attack my family just long enough. Hold them in a rear naked choke because that is my only move. Hold them in a rear naked choke until my wife gets the gun. (laughs) I'm letting go, right? Like my goal, I want to be able to play with my kids. Those are my goals for exercising. Not a real high bar. (laughs) That's not what Paul's talking about. So I was talking about. He, he, this is athletic training. He's talking about somebody who is competing at a high level, right? Somebody who's going to compete against somebody else that wants to dominate him. And so he has to push himself to be vigorous and to work hard to excel, to get his body in perfect condition, right? Like today, this is somebody who's got an app on their phone that counts calories. <laughs> I've done that before. Like, whoa. That is way too many calories, but it's delicious. (laughs) Busted my daily calories again. (laughs) How do you get the line to go down? I don't know. (laughs) Some people are good at this, right? They maximize their, they put, they have recovery shakes, right? They put the right stuff back in at the right time, like, yeah, that's this guy. That's what he's talking about. He's like, yeah, there's, there's some value to that. Like, there's some value to that when you do that with your physical body. But some, even for the most elite athlete or the soldier whose life and nation depends on him being at tip-top physical condition, there's some value to that, but only some because it's temporary. He says, but man, that same type of vigilance, you may not have it when you're counting calories or you're in the gym, but you better have it as you pursue godliness. Because that, that pursuit, man, it has a payout in this life and the life to come. And listen to me, not just for you. Not just for you. Our pursuit of godliness means everything. So what he says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the, for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive. To what end? Godliness. Godliness. That my whole life would be oriented around worshiping and knowing and loving and making known God, godliness. That my life would reflect that I'm a person who spends time with Jesus. That in my conversations, I direct people towards Jesus. I'd be godly. Because we toil, we strive 
right? He, he's going to keep through this whole passage. He's going to use those kind of words. Toil, strive, immerse, persevere, keep this close watch, be diligent, devote yourself. It's hard work. He is calling us. If we're going to serve Jesus well, right? If we're going to serve Jesus well, he's saying this is why we work hard. To serve Jesus well so that we'll live a, and live a godly life. That's why the hard work, to that end. He talks this way. It's hard work. Gospel ministry is hard work. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about it this way. He's defending his apostleship, and he's talking about how, man, I'll, I'll become whatever I need to become to whoever in order to get the gospel to them so that they understand the gospel. And he, and he says, man, I work hard for that. I work hard for that. I'll do whatever it takes to do that. Why? And he says this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. It's hard work. I think often in, in our circles, I guess right now it's just this circle, we defend and we champion salvation, right? In Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. Amen? We champion that, we guard that, we proclaim that. We have this huge right gospel emphasis on that everything that is needed to be done for our salvation, for our redemption, has been done through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Right? Jesus has done it all. He has done it all. And I think sometimes, if we're not careful, if we're not vigilant, if we don't keep a close watch, if we don't take these passages seriously that say, hey, training, for godliness has eternal value for you, but not just you. And we'll be in danger of missing the point and misappropriating what God has done in and through Jesus Christ for us in salvation and remove from ourselves these blood-earnest demands that we toil and strive and work as if, as if, and work as if everything and my godliness and the godliness of those under my care depends on me. If passages like this that stare you in the face and say, no, 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 no. You don't get to step back and say, well, yeah, I didn't, I didn't share the gospel with them, but God's sovereign, right? Like, it's passages like this that don't let us say, yeah, shouldn't go there. I shouldn't do that. Yeah, I messed up again, but God's grace is sufficient. I know I shouldn't watch this video. 
I know I, know, I, know I shouldn't entertain that relationship. I know I, it's not really flirting, but man, God's grace, cover me. God's going to finish his work in me. And we misappropriate what grace means and the power of the gospel. And we remove ourselves, man, from this, this type of dedication. We forget, we forget how serious of a call God has put on our life. He says, man, train, work that hard. love talking to Gar uh, Bozeman, who I think a lot of y'all that have been, that are familiar with the ministry, you got to know him. I, I love hearing his stories. I love it in the sense of, man, I, I, love, I just stand in awe of, of the men and women who have put themselves in harm's way, man, for the protection of this nation, man, for our freedoms. And, and a lot of men, I just, like, I to get this glimpse into a world that I don't know about where, yeah, the type of dedication, the hard work, the planning, the strategy, mentally, what goes into it physically, the, the unity that has to exist for them to accomplish their missions. And I think, man, I don't, so often I don't see my pursuit of Christ and my ministry to others with that same seriousness. And Paul saying, that is exactly what it's like. We have to train. We have to work. We have to toil. We have to pursue godliness. In Colossians 1, 28-29, Paul said this, Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, here it is, that we, might, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling. Here's the balance. Here's the gospel balance. You ready? So good. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Man, there's this, thing happening here that we don't get like the clear answer to where yeah in ministry we have to work ourselves to exhaustion knowing that it is his strength and his power working in and through us but this is the christian life right i mean this is like all of christianity like uh, ask you guys a question little crowd participation who wrote the gospel of luke Iron on Iron student pastor conference, right? Like, oh man, I, I, we should have started earlier in the Bible. Turn to Genesis. <sighs> Who wrote the Gospel of Luke? Y'all don't believe in the inspiration? The Holy Spirit? Right. Which one? Both? Yes. How did that work? Did like Luke write a line and then the Holy Spirit wrote a line? Like, was it, you know, was it like a puppet, like moving Luke's arm, whispering in his ear? Like, man, there's a mystery, right? Like, yeah, because you can see the difference in Luke's gospel to John's. He used Luke's personality. He used his, his detective skills as he goes around and gets eyewitness accounts, right? You see that in Luke, different than John. He used them, but yeah, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. How does that work? 
Man, God has called us. The gospel call is to repent and to believe. We're called to do that. Men and women are held responsible for what they do when they're presented with the gospel, right? Repent and believe. And we know that if you repent, it's because in his kindness, he led you there. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, it's because that is a gift of God, not a work of any man, lest we boast. There's a mystery. And it continues on through our sanctification, through us becoming more and more like Jesus, being conformed to his image, growing in godliness. When we toil, we struggle, we work, we devote ourselves, we have to be diligent, trusting and knowing that it's God doing that work in us because God has made promises like this, right? He who began a good work in you, he will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Amen, absolutely. But that doesn't take the responsibility off of us to work. Well, you see it here back again in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Paul celebrates this. Remember, to this end, what end? Why do we work so hard? Godliness. For to this end, verse 10, we toil and strive because, because we have our hope set on the living God. We just sang about him, right? The living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. He says, yeah, we work that hard because our hope, our confident expectation is in God, the living God. He's not dead. He rose again. Our confidence is in a risen Savior who spoke the universe into existence, who upholds it by his powerful right arm. He's moving it according to his good pleasure, right? We hope We have confidence in him, and because of that, because of who he is, we work, we toil, we struggle. We are dedicated to study our lives and the doctrine that we teach to make sure that it honors God and to make sure those that we're discipling and loving and witnessing to are following Jesus to the end. That they persevere faithful, that they don't quit, that they don't turn back, that they don't fall away. He's a savior. He's really good at it. He's a savior of all, especially of those who put their faith and trust in him. There's no other plan, right? There's no other savior. What's he saying? There is one savior. There is one mediator, right? It's Jesus. There is no plan B. No one else is coming. There is one savior given to all men, right? And the gospel goes out to the world. He's it. And he's really good at saving. Those that put their faith and trust in him will be rescued. Verse 11. I just remembered that when I was going to ask about Luke, I was supposed to say Acts. It's funny because I said, who wrote the Gospel of Luke? Yeah, that that makes more sense why you guys are like, does he really want us to say I see who's stupid. <laughs> now, now, now I get it. <laughs> Tribe, that's right. <laughs> Let them see your progress. <laughs> Verse 11. <laughs> Command and teach these things. 
Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. It says, command and teach these things, right? Teach this, and train yourself for godliness. Teach your people this. Man, avoid all that silliness. Avoid the false teaching. Avoid a lifestyle that takes you away from righteousness. Avoid that. Train yourself. Teach that to your people. It says, command, right? Like, if you teach the Bible, if you're a pastor, you're a preacher, if you lead a small group, if you handle the Word of God, man, command. Man, that authority does not come from us. We don't have the right to wield our own, our own authority, and we don't have the right to neglect the authority that we're to stand on and preach from. This is command. This is not optional. It's not optional. Our teaching should be loving and authoritative. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. Right, part of what Timothy was dealing with was some of these false teachers having age on him. He's probably in his 30s. They said, man, don't let anybody look down on your youth, right? Don't let them do that. Don't let them do that. But how was that? How was he supposed to not let them do that? Is he going to throw his weight around, right? Is he going to puff out his chest? Is he going to become, you know, this authoritarian leader? Like, no, listen to what he says. This is how he's not to let anybody look down on him, right? And, And the point is, if you don't want people to look down on you, right? And most ever, you know, the room's full of student workers, student pastors, we hear it. We feel it. My, is this on Facebook? Somebody in my family. <laughs> There's somebody I'm related to who is so through marriage. <laughs> Can you turn it down? Um, I mean, he's uber successful. And I don't use the word uber ever. Like, that's how successful he is. Like, in America, only, there's only 31 other human beings who has the job he has. So impressive. And just so successful. And I, I feel it. I work at a youth camp. Like, I, I, I see the, I, I hear the tone, right? Like, and not just from people outside the church, like, in the church, like, oh, the student pastor, right? That you, you feel that. Oh, so, what games are y'all playing this Wednesday? Or, you know, like... <laughs> How was your two days of work this week, you know, when you showed up Wednesday and Sunday? Like, you know? And everything in you, right, you, you want to retaliate. You, and he says, man, that's not how you do it. Look at how he tells them. If you don't want people to look down on you, man, set an example where people have to look up to you. Look at what he says. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. So when he says, and leads off with speech, right? Which immediately is the most convicting one that he could have picked. It's observable. Right, I, this, for me, in this study, in meditating on this, in confessing sin, this is where I spent most of my time. Because this gets you in trouble quick. And we know it, right? James chapter 3. James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
For we all stumble in many things. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by strong and driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also... The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. And I resign. Thank you. Right? Like... He says it. Who can do that? Who can do that? A perfect man can tame that. Who's perfect here? Man, nobody. We're not. He says, but we are called to this. We're called to set an example in speech. I think that James, man, it's terrifying. It's a passage that should never be far from our minds. Don't let many of you become teachers. There's a stricter judgment here. Let's just deal with the tongue for a second. That passage should never leave our mind. I think it's not just what we're to avoid, right? Because, man, tongue can tear people's souls down. The power of our words, we can misrepresent God. Devastate people. But we can also, right? We can also speak the words of life, the oracles of God. We can proclaim we read it earlier we proclaim him we proclaim jesus we proclaim the life death and resurrection of the son of god who gave himself for our sins so we could be forgiven and redeemed so we could spend eternity worshiping our father yeah it has that power too and to be to be seasoned with salt so that we speak life to people there's people that would look down on you and they don't know they don't know they don't know that you sat up I don't know you sat up talking to a girl who for the first time (coughs) had the courage to confess that she had been Molested. They don't know that you're talking to a kid who's struggling with pornography, who's enslaved to it. They don't know that you're dealing with the pastor's kid who is questioning God because he sees one thing at home and one thing in the pulpit. And God has called you to be an ear and to be a mouth that would speak forth the mysteries of God. So he says, set that example. They look down on you. All right. You just keep speaking truth. Watch what you say. You keep a close watch on what you say and you speak the truth of the gospel to people. You speak life into people. People will follow that. And speech and conduct 
is going to read the qualifications for an overseer. I encourage you to do that for time. I'll, I'll just challenge you to do that tonight. To, man, if you're a pastor, we should read the right, like James 3, 1 Timothy 3, like stay there, live there. Read those qualifications. And love, right, that we get to follow Jesus' example of love that the love we have for people should be demonstrated sacrificially, that we should be selfless in the way that we love. And faith, that our lives would be an example of faith. You can say, yeah, it's easy. Like, I have a youth pastor salary. I demonstrate faith constantly. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I thought it was funny too. Right? Like, to demonstrate faith, that, 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 that I trust God, that... that not just that I, you know, say I believe this, but my life bears out that I demonstrate a life of faith by my faithfulness. And then he says purity. He says purity, which absolutely means more than just sexual purity, but it absolutely doesn't mean less. It doesn't mean less than that. I think, man, right here, if I'm striving for godliness, if I'm striving to live a life that shows that I walk and step with the gospel, if I'm striving to, and toiling to live a life that shows that I, I walk by the Spirit, that I'm, a, that I'm somebody who's been changed by the gospel, that I'm somebody who's persevering in my faith, then I have to keep a close watch. I have to be diligent. I have to guard my purity. Verse 13, until I come, devote, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So again, in the summary statement, when he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching, and here he brings it in, right? This is, this is the center, this is the gospel center of the minister's role in the church. And sometimes, I think we, we overthink it or we underthink it, and I'm so thankful that this, this verse is in the Bible where he tells us how to minister the word of God. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. So um, pretty awesome in studying this. If you, if you know church history, um, you know, before the church was formed, before Jesus, right, in the synagogues, what they would do is they would take the scrolls and read from the Old Testament, and then they would give the meaning, right? That, that, that was their worship service. And so the early church immediately picked up on this. When they, the early church is meeting together, they were reading the Old Testament, and then they were teaching Christ from those passages. And then as the church grew and we began to get the apostolic letters that become the New Testament, what the early church did was they would read from the Old Testament then they would read from the apostles' writing and give the meeting. I'm like, mate, that's it. Like, <laughs> read the scripture. Read it. What does the scripture say? And give the teaching. What does it mean by what it says? Right? That's the hard work. That's the hard part, right? If you can read, you can do the first part pretty easy. Second part's where it's going to take devotion, the hard work to give the meaning, to dedicate yourself to not, 
to dedicate yourself to making God's word central and God's message to your people central. This, this makes God's voice in your ministry primary. Whatever else goes on around it, be good, funny, entertaining, whatever, this is central. To read the word, to give its meaning, to take a passage and make the main point of that passage, the main point of your message, and give it to your people. And then the exhortation, and to tell them what to do with it. This is how we apply this to our life right here, right now where we live. That's hard work. It takes time and energy and study, devotion and meditation to get the right meaning. Yeah, a lot of background work, a lot of digging. To get the application, a lot of personal meditation and wrestling with the Lord in that passage. This is meant to devote yourself to that. Devote yourself to that. There's no shortcuts here. There is no shortcuts to teaching God's word like that. It's not making your favorite commentary or your favorite pastor the primary voice in your youth group or your church. It's making the voice of the Lord primary. And there's no shortcuts. And this is where, listen, that we cannot be lazy. No doubt there's some of us in the room that the temptation would be to be a workaholic and to lock ourselves in the study for 30 hours a week and have awesome, deep sermons that no one else can understand. And we'd not only like tell them what the Greek word means, but pronounce it. (laughs) But probably for most of us, the danger is that we don't make the main thing the main thing that we'd be lazy here, that we'd cut corners here. And he said, man, Timothy, devote yourself to this. Keep a close watch on your teaching. Do you know what's at stake? Keep a close watch on your teaching, on the doctrine. Not just the content of the teaching, but how you teach it. You have to be diligent. You have to be a hard worker. We should be excellent at this. We should strive for excellence. Not for the approval of others, but because we will answer to God. In 2 Timothy, let me find it. Yeah, right there. 2 Timothy 2.15. Paul says this to Timothy. Do your best. Do your best. Now don't hear, don't hear your dad talking to you when you're a little kid playing t-ball. Right? Not the same. I've got a five-year-old son. He's getting into baseball. It's a lot of fun. He can't catch the ball with the glove to save his life. Like literally, I think I may kill him because I keep hitting him in the head with the baseball. <laughs> he cannot catch it. Just encourage him. Do your best, son. What am I really saying? I'm not expecting much here. <laughs> right? <laughs> that is not what Paul's saying. Right? He is saying, do, give, give your best. Give your all. Maximum effort. Dedicate yourself to this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, doing what? Rightly handling the word of truth. It's hard work. 
what God's called you to. What's at stake? Man, false teaching. A world full of trials and temptation that are constantly fighting for your allegiance and the allegiance of your students. And the word of God must become the filter in my heart and mind and in my students' hearts and minds that everything they hear, see, and experience must pass through before it can affect them, before it can vie for their allegiance. Has to be. And that's what it'll do. If you handle the word of God correctly, week in and week out, that's frustrating, right? Pour yourself into the study pour yourself into the lesson, you preach it, pour out your soul. Within two hours, no one remembered what you said. You're like, why do we do that? I don't even remember half of what I said, right? Why do we, man, week in and week out, what are you doing? You're setting an example. This is how you handle the word of God. Man, my early years as a Christian, and I'm thankful for the men that poured into me. I'm thankful for the sermons I heard. But I just, I was confused. I, so often I was confused when I went, because they told me to read my Bible, but I didn't know how to do that. Because I'd go to the passages that they preach from, and I couldn't, I don't know, I couldn't tell how they got from what the passage said to what they preached. Often it would be a, the reading of a passage and then a whole lot of thoughts and other scriptures sprinkled in. And I couldn't make sense of it. And I don't know how to, how to do this. And the danger, I, I started to follow that example. when I just pick up, you know, the old, those of you who are old enough to remember Rolodex, right? Like, just flip somewhere, find, start reading, and then try to strangely apply that out-of-context passage to your life. And but when I started hearing people who just were committed to reading the scripture giving its meaning, and applying it for today, that changed my life. I started reading scripture that way. Yeah, you're right. That They may not remember every sermon you preach, every Bible study you do, every Sunday school class, but if you will week in and week out faithfully handle the word of God, if you'll do the hard work to do that, <clears throat> you will, by your example, teach them how to handle scripture for the rest of their life. And that's beautiful. That'll mean something when they're 25, newly married, trying to figure that out. Are they going to magically pull up an awesome sermon they heard in ninth grade? No. But if you teach them how to go to the Word of God, to be sustained, how to pursue godliness, it'll sustain them. They'll finish well. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by the prophecy when we're giving you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you practice these things immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching he reminds them remember when god called you to this remember when god called you to this there's going to be a lot of moments in ministry when we need that moment to come up in our mind the clarity then uh how often, I don't even remember who said this to me or what sermon I heard it in, but I remember somebody saying, Man, don't doubt in the, light, in the dark what God showed you in the light. Because there's dark moments. 
and ministry and marriage and parenting and life, there are dark moments. And it's in those moments we need to remember and go back. And Timothy's in a trial, and Paul's saying, hey, remember. Remember that time? Remember when God called you? When God gifted you? And it was confirmed by the authority of the church? God even, there's some prophecy of his giftedness and how God was going to use it. He says, remember that and go back there. Don't neglect that. Don't neglect that gift. Remember it and build on it. And he says this. This is so encouraging. Practice these things, right? Immerse yourself in it. Give yourself totally to it so that all may see your progress. Again, we're called to be an example. But I love this part of it. So that all may see your progress. That is saying it's all right that we're not there yet. And that, for that, I am thankful. Because I feel that. <laughs> I relate to that. I, yeah, we're not there yet. Paul, another, I think it's in the First Corinthians, right? Where he says, is it First Corinthians? Correct me if I'm wrong. Where he says, man, I, I haven't obtained it yet. I'm not there yet. But one thing I do is I strive to lay hold of that which Christ Jesus laid hold of me for. Right? Where is it? What? Philippians. Right, that's what I said, right? (laughs) Philippians. Yeah, Philippians 3. Strive for it. Why? Because I haven't obtained that yet. This is so encouraging. Let them see your progress. Like, we should be progressing. We should be growing. We don't have to have all the answers. Are you going to mess up? Yes, and there's grace for that. It's meant, listen, the Christian life is meant to be a process. That's encouraging. So we come back. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Persevere in this. Same word. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Two minutes. Because this is the most important part. He said all this to get down to Persist in this. Don't give up on this. Keeping a close watch on your life and the doctrine, on your teaching. Why? Because in it is the power to save you and everyone who hears you. Now, I think with a a verse like this, I know for me, my knee-jerk reaction is to go to what it doesn't mean, right? How do do, do I fit this? That language doesn't fit my theology, so how does it not mean that he just said that Timothy can save himself and other people? Well, we know that, right? So we know salvation is in Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, right? Like, we're tethered there. We're tethered to that. We're not giving up on that. We know that that is only the work of Jesus. We know that, right, Paul himself said, hey, listen, I water, Paulus, Paulus planted, I water, God gives the increase. Only God is in the business of saving souls. But I think it's because, man, Paul's okay using this language. He's okay using this language because for us, and we put, and rightfully so, like we put so much emphasis on how salvation begins, right? How salvation begins. The start of a relationship with the Lord. We should put emphasis on that. People coming to repentance and faith and trusting in Jesus, but what we're in danger of doing is stopping there and saying, that's it, it's done. 
And that is not the way Scripture talks. That's not the language that Scripture uses. Listen to this. Again, uh, Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Amen, right? Jesus did that work. Verse 23, if indeed, uh uh-oh, you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. What's he mean if you continue? We said the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And it goes on, the writer Hebrews would say the same thing in Hebrews chapter 3. He's saying, you are God's people if you hold fast. What's he, is he saying that we can lose this? And we know better. Paul's so clear, right? Like, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Amen? There is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Like, we are secure because of the finished work of Jesus. So what is he saying? He's saying, if you have saving faith, saving faith will persevere faithful to the end. And it has never, ever been part of God's plan that you would not strive and work and toil in that perseverance. That God's plan in keeping you faithful to the end and God's plan of working out the salvation that he worked in you, that we partake in that. That we work hard in that. And here's the thing, not just in your own life, but in the life of your students, in the life of the people that you minister to. There's a persevering aspect of our salvation, a final salvation, that we don't get to sit back and say, okay, Jesus done it all, and I'll just hang back. I'll just wait, right? That's such a dangerous place to live. That's when we need to remember those verses. You need to remember, if indeed you continue, when you're tempted to click on a video. You need to remember that when you're tempted to click on a video. You need to remember, if you remain steadfast, when you're tempted to give in and take the flirtation you've been having with that other person into adultery, you need to remember Scripture saying, if you hold fast, you better remember it. Because God is using that verse for your perseverance. He's using that warning to keep you faithful. That's why he says strive and work and toil. What am I, earning my salvation? No, no. 
but I'm working out the salvation that he's worked in me. And it will take all of my energy. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I will know that's not my energy. It's not my energy. It's him who's working powerfully in me. Back to 1 Timothy. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The positive side of that is this. God's plan, just like God's plan of saving a lost sinner, right? How will they know unless they hear? And how they hear unless they're sent, right? We've got to tell them. We've got to tell them the gospel. Is it us saving them? No, God saves them. What a joy to be part of that, right? What a joy to share the gospel with somebody and see them repent and believe. It's the same thing. What a joy to week in and week out disciple young men and young women, teach them the word of God so that they persevere in the faith. And if you persist in that, you'll get to see it. God will save you and them your faithfulness. He'll use you. You'll be part of how God keeps somebody faithful to the end. What a blessing. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, love you. God, I thank you for these men and women. I, I thank you for this time and your word. I pray that you would encourage us, challenge us, and equip us by your Holy Spirit that we would each finish faithful. God, I pray that the men and the women in this room would finish well. God, that they would not fall back into sin, that they would not disgrace the name of Jesus, but they would live lives that can be an example in their, in their speech, in their conduct, in their faith, in their love, in their purity, so people would know you, follow you. Lord, I, I pray that this, this weekend, that, that you would be glorified, that your church would be strengthened. I love you, Lord. We need you in Christ's name. Amen.